Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Sunday afternoon, and uh, now Yontav is over, and we're looking at Parshas Noach. Uh, I'm hoping, if possible, to knock out a couple of talks this week, if things work out that way. I have a sponsor for today. In fact, I hope to do two today, if, if things work out. Uh, one on the Parsha and one on uh, the biography. And later on, I mean, there's a lot of material in Parshas Noach, so if possible, I'll I'll going to try to do two, because I think there are a lot of very interesting and different aspects of Parshas Noach. Um, as I said, I have sponsors for today for two, and I'm hoping if I'll get two more for this week for another one on the Parsha and another one on the Torah, uh, we'll see how it works out. Uh, but today's uh, talk is being sponsored by my very good friend, my close friend, Shmuel Fung- Sam Finkel. In Rechavia, in Shari Tzedek, in Yerushalayim, uh, very kind of him, and uh, uh, he's the author of that book on uh, Masquerade Bat, as I mentioned before. That's a good idea to get. If you're interested, this is Shemitah year coming up, and that Masquerade Bat is when they had the whole Shemitah fights against Rothschild. Um, you Google it online, you'll see. Anyway, I'll get right down to business, and that is... You're going to laugh at what I'm about to say. I went swimming today. That's my one exercise. And while I swim, sometimes when I'm swimming, again, you know, if your mind is empty, so it's good. At least my mind works in such a way, all of a sudden I get a flash of something. So believe it or not, while I was swimming, I thought of something interesting about the Parsha from a different aspect. And I'm going to share it with you because all I can ever do is share with you what occurs to me. Here we go. You know, do we live in a perfect world? Well, somebody says, yes, God created it perfect. Wrong. God tried to create a perfect world. The story of the Bible is it always comes imperfect, right? Maybe Bracious Brawl came, maybe Bishvili Yisrael, Nick Horatius and all that business, and then it worked out that way. Uh, things always screwed up, starting with Adam and Eve and the introduction of death and the pains of a childbirth and all the rest of it. These are signs of the imperfection of the world. The thing is, God, as I understand it, it's pretty clear that God wants to create a perfect world but once you create man with the ability to choose, that introduces imperfection because man, man makes bad choices. Okay? Uh, it's like saying you have a kid and give him a big trust fund. I'm just making this up. Let's say when he hits 20 or 22 or whatever, you know, whatever, one of those years, he gets the trust fund. So now he's got a lot of money. He can do whatever he wants. He could create a utopian life for himself if he knows how to play the cards right. But it's a very good chance that he won't. Right? Would you leave your kid with a ton of money at a young age like that? Or, it, it, almost at any age, I'd say. I mean, you have to do it sooner or later. But the problem is not the circumstances. The circumstances are good. You left the kid 10 million bucks in the trust fund. The circumstance, the problem is the kid. Right? Will he or she know what to do with it? So, just giving a little bit of thought, I see in the Chumash, it's fascinating to me. 
four examples of an attempted utopia and then the screw up and it doesn't work out. A, B, C, and D. The first is the Garden of Eden. Automachava, then Eden. It's literally the, the, the archetype of the paradise. That's what I mean. They're there. Hashem puts them in there. They need it. They have everything they need. They don't even know from sin. Logis Bashashud. Everything's great. Um, you know, all your needs are taken care of. It's the equivalent of having the trust fund. Right? And there's nobody to bother them. And so on and so forth. But, as we know the famous story, there is always a snake in the Garden of Eden. Right? Some problem is always there. Now, if Adam and Chav, if Adam and Eve are smart enough not to listen to the snake, fine. But as we know, they weren't smart. So in other words, the attempt to create the original utopia fails because they make a bad choice. Okay? I, logic, you know, you talk to a Greek philosopher, they'll say, didn't make any sense. They had everything going for them, like I mentioned the other day. Just don't open that door. Right? You have a million dollars a week. Don't open that door. That's all. But as we know, the curiosity, the the, the desire, tov, ha'etz, l'maychel, menechem, l'inayim, in other words, the sensual, um, what's the right word, misguiding, which is just part of sensualism, right? The senses misguide. It's a basic philosophical teaching, and among many Rishonim as well. You know, tov, ha'etz, l'maychel, menechem, l'inayim, that's how you get fat, <laughs> take it from me. Right? It's a, if you yield to what the senses, you know, attempt with, you make a poor choice. And that, of course, is the story of Adam and Eve. Literally, Tov, whatever the language is over there. And so the attempt to create a, a paradise, a utopia, so that all of the descendants of Adam and Chava would live forever in such a paradise, uh, in such a, a, a high madrega was frustrated, uh, not by anything that God did, but by the time it's over, God throws him out of the Garden of Eden. So that's an attempt, using this story, to create a perfect world. It's the original attempt to create a perfect world. It doesn't involve harming anybody else, right? At that time, Autumn wasn't even a, a meat eater, as you know. So he's just eating apples and, you know, uh, like Yogi Bear, you know, just nuts and berries. And everything's fine. And it doesn't work out. So that's the original attempt. I mean, all the religions know this. That's the original attempt of what they call Paradise Lost. You, you had it, you had it in your hands, and you blew it. You know what I'm You blew it. But that would be a perfect world, you know, for one family, which would be the human race. Okay. What's the second time you have a utopia? In this week's Parsha, how so? It's a different type of utopia. It's almost a Hitler utopia in a certain weird way. It's a different way of looking at things. This utopia involves violence. Suppose I said, the world's full of bad people. The only way I can be safe is to kill everybody. If I killed everybody, I've got nothing to worry about. Right? Now, I'll keep my wife and family, that's it. Or five friends assuming none of them is a snake in the Garden of Eden. You never know for sure. But let's say I had five friends like the Vilna Gog. I'm just making this up. They're not going to stab me in the back. Now, brave new world. Well, now we, we can start all over again. You understand? This is the science utopia. 
You get rid of all the bad things. In the scientific perfect world, you get rid of all the bugs. No more mosquitoes, no more bees and all that. We discovered that you need them for the ecology. Yes, that's a big problem today. But you hear what I'm saying. So that's a utopia, but it can only be accomplished you know, by, um, by the physical uh, removal of a lot of people. This is the religious nuts today, you know, the Taliban, all the rest of it. They like to kill everybody, except their people who feel like that. And then it'll be a gone some perfect world. I'm serious about this. You know, the CIA and all this, they always discover these plots to put in poison in New York City, around the world. And as I said the other day, it's possible it's modern science, perverted science, to, to do that. Or at least it's going to become more and more possible as the 21st century progresses. And the idea is they're looking for a Noah utopia. Okay? The Noah utopia is I'm the only one left. Or me and a few. You know, the, the few goodies are the only ones left. And it didn't work out. Because Noah gets drunk, as we know. In other words, he thought that all the problems come from the Rishayim, the Hamas, right? The Dor Hashchasa and all that. And it turned out that Eichanami, that was a problem. But he had problems within him. Now, why exactly he got drunk? A lot of different opinions. Nobody knows. You know what I mean? It's not clear. There are a lot of different opinions. But it's from Zich. You get it? It wasn't a snake from outside who tempted him. He, he he got out of the ark. He planted a tree. He grew the vine. He made the wine. He got, he got stoned. And look what happened from that. From his own weakness. I repeat again, nobody made him do it. He was the only person left in the world, basically. But he wanted to do it. Right? Maybe he thought he could control his I don't know. We'll never know. It's a funny story. The, the, these parts are full of funny stories. And I don't mean that to be funny. I'm serious. All we know is one thing that re- results from his choice to become drunk is a human slavery. Where do you have the first slavery that I know of? That I can think of. Evan Avodim Yilov, Canaan. Isn't that right? You know, when Noah is naked and so forth. By the time it's over. I mean, uh, uh, am I, maybe I'm forgetting or something. But I, as far as I can tell, sitting here, I don't know of any Avodim prior to Canaan story. Right? Not that I know. Maybe there was. I mean, it talks about the Menel Him Ben Sodom, but the, the slavery is an institution. Uh, starts with the dystopia that results from Noah surviving. So you think as a result of Noah surviving, everything will be peachy keen. And it turns out that no. It turns out that um, uh, you actually introduced a uh, domination of one set of people by the other by the time it's over. So, in both cases, Mitzat Hashem, the conditions were set up for a utopia. In the case of Adam and Eve, there was um, Gan Eden. In the case of Noah, there was an empty world. You can start all over again. It's all yours. Doesn't it use the language in this week's parasha? Nosati lechem kol, or something like that. That's why Kanik the Bahamas, right? You own everything, the whole world. I mean, it's a different type of utopia, right? It's a different type. You own the whole world. You own the whole world. But it didn't work out 
because of his internal weaknesses. Right? Matter of fact, as far as I'm concerned, this is what the Rashi should say. You know, they always say, Noch, tell me my Badura, so oh if you hardly be May Avram, he would be nothing. Versus the other way of saying, Oh no, it was harder to stay from in those days. We all know that. Famous Vart. But the real re- what I should say that he's not like Avram is Avram, when he had a chance, ran with the ball. Avram was a millionaire. They talked like that. But what, what did he do with it? He used it totally for the Kiruv. Right? Uh, Noah had the opportunity, and uh, he got drunk. So, I mean, that's the real contrast between Avram and Noah. Now, maybe I'm beating up on Noah, who, after all, is our Zadie. <laughs> Agree? We all come from Noah. Is that true? So, uh, you know, we have this in us also. Anybody's alcoholic, you know where it comes from. Now, uh, uh, they couldn't 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 rise to that occasion. Uh, again, he saw a world destroyed, and maybe you know that had tremendous erosion with him. I'm I'm sure it did. To use the modern language that rabbis will use when they give sermons as a Holocaust survivor, you know. Although I'm not, I mean, we'll never know. We'll never know the answer to the question I'm about to raise. How did Noah feel about the destruction of mankind in his time? You know, on the one hand, they're all wicked, Rishon. Hin and Mashka Samas Arts. His Shkis Kalbos are darker arts. So Noah knew that he's living among terrible people. On the other hand, it's his cousins, his uncles, his, uh, you know, relatives. I don't know. It, it's, it's a fair question I'm raising. Okay? But the point is that this year, at least, the most interesting part of the Parsha is when the flood is over and he has the whole world he has a total opportunity to make a fresh start and he blows it. He blows it. The next thing you know, you have Shem, Yecham, Yafes, Canaan is an Evid. When you have Evid, you have domination. You have domination, you have wars, seeking advantage, and so on and so forth. But, Rabosai, there is a third story. Also in this week's Parsha, about an attempt at a utopia, a third attempt at utopia. So you have Adam and Eve, you have Noah after the flood, and then you have a third utopia, which is even more fascinating in many respects. And I spoke about it last year, I think. That is the Migdal Bubble, the Tower Bubble. Because it says, And the world was filled with uh, a sense of unity. Whenever I read this, I'm reminded of the Yari Kaplan business. In his handbook of Jewish thought, you know, he crunches together for all the different sources. And I'm just sharing with this. You can look this up yourself. You have a whole week now to prepare your own Vartara. And, you know, I th- I would say in general, even though he's extremely eclectic, Ari Kaplan more or less follows um, the Ramchal, as I see it, uh, in his reconstruction of sacred history. And... Just to read you this very short paragraph in the Handbook of Jewish Thought. It says, When Abraham was 48 years old, Avram Avinu, a crucial historical event took place. God saw in Avram a force that could bring mankind back to him. If only humanity could be unified. God therefore brought a spirit of unity upon the world, influencing all mankind to act in one accord. However, instead of uniting to serve God, they united to build the Tower Bubble. And he brings down two sources over here, but he's basing this on an al 
That's what he says. So I don't, I'm not getting up to look at the Alshit inside. That's a, that's a Mahalach. Okay? It's a Mahalach. However, he also says, CF Drushes around. Check out the Drushes around. And the Drushes around is, is very interesting. Um, I was thinking of doing this maybe as a separate podcast. But the Drushes around basically says, no, I'll save this for another podcast. But let, let, me, let me say this. It was a chance. It's a different type of utopia. Here you have a lot of people, not one, like Noah. It's many groups. But there was a spirit of unity. Now, this is a very firm way of looking at things. Ordinarily, a historian would say, I guess, there's cyclical events. Every once in a while, the human race strives for unity. But then, in a dialectical fashion, they always strive to be saved from the unity and preserve their individual ethnic identities. These are two dynamics which are in existential tension. Now, uh, if you think about history, you'll see what I mean. When I was a kid, there was a big, I'm very young, there's a one world, you know, United Nations, people believe that stuff. And uh, now, it's like every little group in the world wants to break away from whatever national and certainly international domination that exists out there. So it says it's a swinging on the pendulum. Um, the MS is a lot of groups are not capable of self-government, but you can, you're not allowed to say that nowadays. Anyhow, the point is that that's a kind of utopia. Let's say it would have worked out. We envision that in Russia, Shani and Kibber Davening as part of the utopia of the human race. For you, you know, uh, how's it go? Shema, Bruka. Why is it necessary to have a good achas lasis for some pleishom? Why do they introduce that in the prayers? Why don't they simply say like this? Ata kadosh, shem kadosh, chintin pachta al kolamim, and the goyim should leave us the heck alone. Right? That's all. Lion will lie down with the lamb, as Maimonides says. Just leave me the heck alone. Right? Go and do your own thing. Why is it necessary as part of the universal vision and the utopia? I mean, it's a nice idea. Why is it necessary? You see? The answer, obviously, is it's one aspect of a utopian situation. So, in other words, let's put it this way. <clears throat> As I just read Yanari Kaplan, let's just say, for argument's sake, that the Migdal would have been a good idea. In other words, instead of going against Hashem, and you know all the different Midrashim, the the you can't speak of a plain meaning when it comes to that enigmatic story. But I will. In terms of plain meaning, they wanted to, you know, not so long shame, let's go and, uh, and somehow or other unite the human race to fight against God. Okay? So that was a bad idea. Suppose they would have said, let's unite the human race for Achtus and Shalom and no more Melchama and scientific progress. But shame Shammai, not against Hashem, but for Hashem, then it would have been great. As, as Ari Kaplan just said, the spirit of unity could have been one in which since everybody's united, if a person comes and lead him in right Derek, which would have been Abba Mavina, who was 48 years old at the time, everything would have been fine. But instead, as we all know, for one reason or another, and instead, I'm going to save this for another time because I think it's an interesting subject. Um, God frustrated that because he saw that was going in the wrong derech. If you're going not on a L'Shem Shemayim route, but on an Adolf Hitler route, 
where Stalin roots said the whole human race is under one government that can be dominated by one dictator, uh, then that's an, uh, that's an example, once again, of a, of a paradise lost. You had the whole potential it could have been a good thing, but again, the perversity of the human nature pushed in the wrong direction. So the instrument was good, but the purpose to which it was used was bad. You know, like fire or water. The fire is good, the water is good, if you use it for the, for the positive. If you use it for the negative, it's terrible, it's, a, it's destructive. But what is the common to all three? The objective situation was there. The Garden of Eden was there. The whole world left open to one survivor was there. The willingness of all the nations and groups in the world to unite in a non-war, true, genuine United Nations was there. But in each case, it's the human perversity, human nature. Adam and Eve, Noah getting drunk, and the idea of let's go against Hashem. That's interesting. If you think through the Chumash, there's one more case, and that's my, as I understand it, that's Maimon Harasinai. Now, it's a different type of utopia. It's only one group, right? When they said Nasa Manishman. The meaning with all these different Midrashim and Chazal is had they not made a golden calf, it would have been a, a, a utopia. Charus Mimal Chamavis. Charis Aluchus, you know, Cheris Malchamabas, Cheris Cheris Midis, Cheris Midat. It would have been great, right? They got a uh, crowns on their heads. All the angels. These are all expressions to say that if they would have kept Nasib and Ishma and just kept it, then all of history would be different. There wouldn't be any history. The, at least the Jews would have been a utopia. And the idea, generally speaking, in an enlightened fashion is that once Cholesterol hit Utopia, they would persuade the other people to do it also. Because people would say, look what a great life they have. Everything's going great. They build a good society. I've spoken about this before. This Abraham idea writ large. It's the second paragraph of Eleno. All the wicked should turn to you. That was the reform of mankind. So it would be a two-stage kind of utopia. First it hit the Jews, but then from the Jews it would spread to the rest of the human race. This is the general idea of a claw you throw being, you know, orlegoim as the expression goes. The possibilities here. But once again, for the fourth time, it's the human perversity. They made Eglis off. And therefore, as a result, they lost it all. Right? They lost it all. So it's interesting. You see, as far as I can see, those are the four times I can locate in the Chumash. Uh, Adam and Eve, Noah, and the Tower Bubble, both of which are in this week's Parsha, and then Marmar Hasinah, that whole thing. Now, there's four of them. There are four attempts at Utopia that, that, that messed up because, they I said before, the objective situation was there. But the people's personal problems, their bad midos, whatever you want to call it, prevented it from happening, which is very interesting. Is the world a perfect world? Well, it's created at least occasionally with the instruments of perfection. But as long as you have human beings that can make good decisions and bad decisions, 
unfortunately, you know, experience shows to make bad decisions. So like I said before, I can leave the kid a trust fund, a hundred million bucks. That kid plays his cards right, never will have to work, right? The kid lived the life of Riley, but you got to make the right choices. And without a training, that's the whole book of Coelus is about that. As I said many times, Coelus, you don't make the right choices, it don't work out. Then the paradise is lost. You end up like Shlomamach with a mess on your hands. You see? So it's very interesting. If there are four of them, you see where I'm going. I ain't a moral person so much, but I can bet you money. Yeah, Maral or a Hutner or one of those people probably will connect these four. Or you can. You can be Junior Maral Club. Right, next week. Connect these four with the four Machias. You know, Babel, Persia, Greece, and Rome. That sort of thing. Because I remember the morale, not that I'm a bucking in it, but I know from his Hanukkah book, which I know fairly well, always talk about the fact that the four means lack of Malchus Shemaim. You know what I mean? The four den- designate the antithesis, let's put it this way, of the utopia. He doesn't use those words, but that's what it boils down to. The antithesis of the Malchus Shemaim, and therefore what we would call utopia, perfect world, Lo Yisagoyal Gaycherev, Everybody get along. Or whatever the Pasuk says over there. Now, now um, that means there are four attempts at utopia. And just like we say, the fifth kingdom will get it right. That's the famous dream you find twice in the book of Daniel. Right? When Nebuchadnezzar has that dream, how's it go with the head of gold? Next part is silver, next part is iron, next part is the uh, bronze and clay, but the little statue, the little stone knocks it all down and becomes a Mashiach. It's called the fifth monarchy. So, that idea, that four times, you got to strike out four times before you hit a home run, let's put it that way. For the Americans in the audience. you got to strike out four times before you hit a home run. Uh, that seems to be built into the Bria. Okay? And the morale, as I recall, Indeed, identifies this because he says, um, And it's a famous message. To is like Baba, Bo is like Persia. Choshech is Greece. Tohom is Rome. These, like I said, this is in the Hanukkah book of the Maral, whatever it's called, Ne'er Mitzvah. Uh, these are all ways. It's a certain flowery speech of saying that you know, there has to be four times mankind has to screw up before they get it right. Um, okay, you know, I hear. Uh, but what you see, therefore, is, and, and the reason, I'll, and I'll close now, what you see is maybe the most interesting parts in Parsha Noach is not the drama, dramatic flood, even though that's amazing, and all that stuff. Maybe the most interesting parts of, of Noach or the attempts to get it right, which fail. Either the attempt of Noah himself, who has a whole world in front of him, there is endless opportunity, but what do you do? What do you do at that point? Right? Now I want to point out, Noah never hurt anybody. Not when he was alive, never hurt anybody. Before the flood, he was the one guy that didn't do comments. He didn't hurt anybody. After the flood, he didn't hurt anybody. But he hurt himself. By getting drunk, he hurt himself. He ended up 
condemning the, 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 the grandson to, to slavery. But I'm saying he didn't physically harm anybody. But that's not enough. It's it's a what's the expression? Necessary but not sufficient. In order to be a tzaddik, it's true you have to not harm anybody. Like it says in the Hippocratic Oath, don't hurt anybody. But that's not enough. You know, you also have to be able to go beyond that. And that's the meaning when they say Noah was not an Abraham. That's what it was. Anyway, this is a thought that came to me. I want to thank Sam Finkel again. I wish him. He's, uh, the time I think he's just looking to buy a, a change, a move in uh, in Yerushalayim, looking for a place. Because he wrote an article in the Where One. went about that very uh, interesting article, actually. And with that, I wish you all a uh, good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.